Right. Thank you, Jessica. I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. I'm preaching through the book of Romans this summer, and we invite you to follow along when you're here. If you can't be here, you can listen to the sermons on either iTunes or uh, through our website. I invite you to do that to kind of pick up where we've been and where we're going. Romans chapter 5. I'm again reading in a minute, but you know, perhaps the most quoted verse in all of Scripture is John 3.16, but I want to share a verse with you this morning that's probably in the top five of the most quoted verses. So once you find Romans 5, put your finger there and then flip over to the book of Second Illusions, chapter 2, verse 1. Mike, are you able to? Yeah, there you go. God helps those who help themselves. Second Illusions. Have you all found that? It might be in the Old Testament. Some of you are thinking, what are they laughing about? That verse is not in the Bible. If it's in your Bible, it's because you wrote it in there. I remember being in a restaurant out in San Diego, and it was a mom and a dad and two children, and, and the dad was having this conversation. It was really about these two kids who wanted to do something with their youth group. And the dad said this. He said, well, my Bible, and as soon as I heard that, I thought, i got to hear it. You know, I wanna, I'm real interested now. What about your Bible? My Bible says God helps those that help themselves. And I promise you that father probably thought that verse is in the Bible. That verse is not in the Bible. In fact, it contradicts what is in the Bible. Here's the good news. If you don't hear me say anything else, you're going to get to this in this passage of Romans chapter 5. Here's the good news. God helps the helpless. God did not wait for you to help yourself so that He could help you. God helps the helpless. What I want to look at this morning is, is the work of God. Really the work of God in salvation. And there's a past component to that. There's a present component to that. There's a future component to that. So Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 is where we'll be today. Let me just read the first couple of verses as we look at some past actions. And just in the interest of full disclosure, first of all, just in case you have not been paying attention, Second illusions is not in the Bible. I had a friend of mine that was he was in seminary riding the elevator, and somebody said something about you know Second illusions chapter six, and they laughed. And he didn't know any better. He said, "Oh, there's there's not six chapters in that book, are there? You know, no, it's not in the Bible. All right, don't go home to your mom or dad and say I got to get a new Bible. Preacher preached out of something. It's not in my Bible. No, it's not in there. Also, in the interest of full disclosure." We're going to look at past, present, and future, and there's going to be components of that through each of these points. But I want you to see the point of what's happened in the past, what's happening now, what's happening in the future. So let me just read these first couple of verses. Therefore, and I love the fact that Paul is continuing this theme. You need to understand when Paul wrote Romans, he didn't write chapter 1 and then chapter 2 and chapter 3. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Rome. We came along later and divided it up into chapters. In fact, some of these verses that you'll see in Romans are all just one sentence from the Apostle Paul. So Paul is building on what he's already been teaching about. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. 
Paul has made the case about our justification. And so he's just going to build on that. Therefore, because of what I've already taught you, Paul is saying, having been justified, it literally means to pronounce innocent. And I made a point of this a couple of weeks ago. There's a big difference in being pronounced innocent and being pronounced not guilty. Big difference is you could be guilty of something. There just wasn't enough evidence to convict you, and so they had to pronounce you, well, you're not guilty. It's better than that. Being justified is just as if I'd done everything right. The righteousness of Christ applied to my life. I've been pronounced innocent by God. Salvation is absolute, it's complete, it's final, is the point that Paul is making. But here's what happens. Because I've been justified, how? By faith. By faith. Not in myself. It wasn't my effort. It wasn't that I helped myself. It wasn't that I brought something to God and it appeased Him because it was good enough. I came a sinner. Justified by faith. But here's the good news. I now have peace with God. Peace. It's a present tense verse. Meaning now. I'm not going to have peace with God sometime in the future, but when I came to Christ and He pronounced me justified because of His blood, I now have peace with God. The war is over. There's no reason to doubt any longer. One of the greatest ways that the enemy will try to train wreck your faith is by casting seeds of doubt. And here's how some of those seeds of doubt come. God doesn't love you. Look what you've done. God, God doesn't love you. You know what kind of person you are? Here's the good news. The bad news is that will train wreck, that will train wreck peace. Casting those seeds of doubt will destroy your peace. Well, you don't need to listen to the devil. I've shared this a bunch of times in this place. When my favorite Christian t-shirt says, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Because <laughs> in God's economy, your past is the past. Your presence is this. As a child of God, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have peace. The war is over. And, and here's the good news. We're no longer objects of God's wrath. There's a day of wrath coming. Apparently it wasn't a couple of weeks ago. I'm pretty sure of that. I think now he's revised this to October, so just hang on. We have peace with God. And listen, it's not just a feeling. There's going to be days that you're not going to feel very much at peace. But that's when you come back to the truth of God's Word and you say, you know what? I'm going to walk today not in how I feel. I'm going to walk today in the fact of what God's already pronounced over me. And that is, I'm innocent. The war's over. I have peace with God. And just in case you're wondering, you're thinking, wait a minute. Were we at war with each other? I didn't realize I was at war with God. Let me tell you something. He was, you weren't just at war with Him. He was at war with you. Why? Because God hates sin. It wasn't that He hated you. He loved you. That's why He paid the penalty for your sin. And we'll get to that, the, the unpacking of that in just a few minutes. But we have peace with God. And then listen to this. We've obtained an introduction by faith. Introduction literally means admission. It only occurs three times in the whole New Testament. But it was a word that they would have used of like somebody that was coming to see the king. 
and you had to be introduced. You couldn't just bebop into the presence of the king. You couldn't just walk up and say, hey, here to see the king. Anybody remember the Wizard of Oz? Remember, remember the gatekeeper at the Wizard of Oz? You remember what they said? We, we're here to see the wizard, Dorothy and her cohorts by this time. We're here to see the wizard. You remember what the doorkeeper said? Nobody gets to see the wizard. And now you're going to have to go and watch the Wizard of Oz this afternoon. You remember who the doorkeeper was in the Wizard of Oz? It was the wizard, <laughs> the guy that hid behind the curtain. Don't anybody look back here. There's nothing going on back here. But I want you to think about that, not that God's some kind of wizard keeping the door. All right. There's probably some spiritual analogies you can make there. But here's what I want you to think of. You had to have an introduction. The introduction came by faith through Jesus Christ, who's your introducer, but you didn't come in your own strength. You've gained an introduction by faith into this, into grace by which we now stand. Grace. The Sunday school definition of grace is God's unmerited favor. You say, okay, well, what does that mean? Here's, what, here's my favorite definition of grace. Grace is, grace is getting something you don't deserve. Different from mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So we've had our introduction by faith into this grace, into getting what we don't deserve. We get life. We get abundant life. We get the presence of God. We get a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. And that is what we stand in. And I really want you to get what this word means. The word to stand carries this idea of permanence, to be firm or immovable. So what is it that we stand in? Are we standing in our own strength? Are we standing in the fact that we've been a Christian long enough or that we've memorized Scripture, that we've done this or that thing? Folks, that's not immovable. That's movable. Here's what we stand. Here's where we take our firm stand is the fact that all we have to count on is the grace of God. And that's what we stand in. We've gained our introduction by faith, but now we stand. Grace, we stand in grace. It is not a human effort. Hear this. You're saved by divine grace. You're not preserved then through human effort. For some of you, that went right over your head. But for the others of you, try to catch that. We, we come, most of us don't have a problem understanding that we come to God by grace. For by grace are we saved through faith. But folks, you're preserved by that grace also. Jesus didn't die on the cross and say, okay, it's finished, that's enough, you're saved, now do the best you can. Or it's up to you to kind of cling to this. No, you're standing, you're firm, you're immovable in the fact that that grace continues. And because of that, we rejoice. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. Let me say one more thing before I, I, I leave this, because some people miss this. It says we have peace with God. Now, we have the peace of God. That comes later in the passage, but we have peace with God. And so because of our peace with God, we can rejoice in hope. And I love the biblical definition of the word hope. It's not like you and I when somebody says, well, you know, can you do this? And you say, well, I hope so. Are you able to jump back? Well, I hope so. No, it's more of a confident assurance, not just a pipe dream. But we rejoice, we exult in the hope 
of the glory of God. That's past action with continuing results. Let's look at the rest of this middle part of this chapter. And not only this. In fact, you're going to see this throughout this chapter. It's just more than that. Not only that. It's better than that. It just keeps building. And not only that. I mean, that's good enough. But we also exult or rejoice in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Listen. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's just good news. Therefore, Paul says, because of the case that I've made, now not only this, but we rejoice in our tribulations. And you're kind of thinking, whoa, time out. Wait a minute. I'm I'm happy about tribulations? I'm rejoicing in tribulations? The word tribulation literally means to squeeze. The word that's used here, translated tribulation, would have been when they put the little olive in the press and that stone ran over it. And then you put it over in the press where the olive oil was extracted. Or when they walked barefoot on the grapes And the juice was extracted. That pressing. That's what the word tribulation means here. Does that help you get it? Do you ever feel like in this life you're pressed? Maybe you're pressed from all sides. It feels like, man, I'm getting it from everywhere. Every direction. And folks, the word here is not meaning that you're experiencing what everybody in the world experiences. These tribulations are coming because you're trying to live a godly life. Not the tribulation that everybody in the world has that, you know, gas prices are too high. Or that it's 105 heat index. But it's the pressing that comes upon you when you're living a godly life and you don't fit in the world anymore. And the world so desperately wants to cram you into its mold. That's the tribulation he's talking about. That's the pressing. But here's the good news about this pressing. It has a purpose. James 1 puts it this way, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials or tribulations. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. See, it's one thing if you experience tribulations and you couldn't know that there's there's some reason for this. The reason that Paul is giving is, is that in your squeezing, that tribulation brings about perseverance. Or perseverance means cheerful or hopeful endurance or patience. You ever pray for patience? I don't recommend you do. (laughs) Actually, I I recommend you do. But patience only comes one way. It's not a pill. There's not an easy ten steps that they've now abridged down to three steps. Patience only comes one way. It comes through the testing time. It comes through tribulation. It comes through the trials. Because as James says, God wants you to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God loves you that much that he allows temptation or trials into your life. Testing times. 
You're saying, well, I just wish he didn't love me so much. No, see, God knows what the end result is. And so trust God for that. Believe God in that. It's okay. So I'll even rejoice when I'm being pressed. Because that pressing brings about perseverance. And that perseverance brings about proven character. Literally tested character. It's during the proving that character is revealed. This was a word that it would have been used when they took precious metal and put it through the fire. To burn away anything that wasn't pure so that what you had left, what you proved was the purity of the metal. That's what you're going through. When you're going through tribulation and you're learning patience, the end result of that and what you'll see along the way is that character is being revealed. Proven, tested, trusted now character. So the character has been revealed And then proven character produces hope. We'll even hope in the tribulation. We have a confident expectation that even in the middle of the tribulation, that God is up to something. And we know God is good, so we know what He's up to is good. It's not that He's trying to sail us off the end of the world. It's that He has a purpose for our life, and He wants to reveal the character in our life to accomplish His purpose. So the proven character produces hope. And here's the good news about that hope. It does not disappoint. You're not going to be disgraced, shamed, or put down because of the fact that you have placed your hope in nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. You're not going to be disappointed. Then he moves on into this hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. Now, this is not the love from God. This is the love of God. It's not our love for Him. It's His love for us. This is really the most overwhelming truth of all. This is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Jesus, would not perish but have everlasting life. That has been poured out. And I love the word poured out. These these words are just so meaty, lavished, outpoured to the point of overflowing. That's the love that God has for us, and that's the love God's demonstrated to us. It comes in immeasurable torrents. The love of God poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The day you turn your life to Christ, You receive the Holy Spirit. It's a promise. It's a fact. It's a reality. It's been given to you. And the Holy Spirit has an activity in our life. But I don't want you to miss then verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. The word helpless literally means strengthless. It means powerless. Elsewhere in Scripture, it means dead. Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Then you get to the verse that says, but God being rich in mercy with which he loved us. While we were helpless, 
the next time somebody says to you, you know, the Bible says God helps those that help themselves, just hand them a Bible. Say, show me that. I'm, I'm trying to learn here, but where does it show that? Show me that in Scripture. Not, not to be a smart aleck, but if you go through your life not getting verse 6 and somehow thinking, I've got to do something for God to help me, you miss the point of the gospel. It's really good news. God helps the helpless. God helps the powerless. God helps those who have no strength. That's who God helps. And he did it at the right time. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Do you understand that? The irreverent, the unrighteous, the ungodly. That's who he died for. He didn't come to die for those folks who were godly. He died for the folks who were ungodly. It's an incredible thought. And, and then here's kind of the paradox that Paul's making here. He says, you know what? Pick up, you know, somebody, hardly anybody would die for a righteous person. Maybe, perhaps, somebody would die for a good person. Don't make too big of a distinction between those two. But the righteous person is kind of that morally right person, the Good person is the one who does good actions. And I think all this Paul is saying is, you know, even the person who kept the letter of the law can have a hard time finding people that would die for him. Maybe for the person that you'd seen done a lot of good in the community, somebody might say, yeah, I would, I'd give my life for that person. But here's what God did. God demonstrated his love for us, not that he died for the righteous or the good. He died for the sinner. He died for the ungodly, the unrighteous, the one who had no good in him. That's who God died for. God demonstrates. The word is a present tense word. In fact, this verse, verse 8, your English teacher is going to mark off because you've got present tense action from past tense action. But you really need to get this. God demonstrates... His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Past tense. The death of Christ on the cross is a contemporary illustration of the love of God for you. When you look at a cross, I don't know what comes to your mind, but one thing that should come to your mind is God loves me. Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago. So that God could prove on June the 5th, 2011, that he loves you. Present tense word, God demonstrates and continues to demonstrate his love through what Jesus did on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And that while we were yet sinners, while we were still missing the mark, while we were still walking away from God, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for good people. He died for sinners. And Christ didn't die to make you a better person. He died to make you a brand new person. He didn't die so that he could clean up what was there. He died so that by faith in him we can be recreated. Become new creations. And then let's look at let's look at the future blessing then. I love Paul's writing, verse 9, much more than. I'm thinking, hey, there's nothing more than that. That's good enough. Let's go home. Let's just get that and live in that. But he says, more than that. 
having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult or rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. Here's the rest of the good news. Because of the fact that we've been justified by his blood, not our actions, by his, we're saved from the wrath of God that is to come. The scripture says that as believers, we're not destined for his wrath. But folks, there's coming a day when that wrath will be poured out. A horrible day. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Here's what Paul's saying. Here's where you can hang your hat. If you could understand that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were an enemy, he made a way for you to be reconciled. How much more so are we going to be saved through his life? And not only this, but we also rejoice that through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have now received the reconciliation. I don't know how often you use the word reconciliation, but I do it when I do my bank statement. You know, you get out your checkbook. And now you can do it online. Reconcile it by what the bank says. And I just got to tell you, I make errors a lot in my checkbook. I hadn't found yet where the bank made an error. Monopoly game, bank error in your favor, $15. That hadn't happened for me. So when I finally realized where all my errors were, and I become reconciled with the bank, everything matches up, that's what reconciliation is. We've been reconciled with God. We didn't match up. And there was nothing in our own effort we could do to match His righteousness. But we've been reconciled through Jesus Christ. An exchange has taken place. We've been restored to divine favor. That's what happens by the cross through Jesus Christ. And just in case you missed some of it, I just made a list of some of these blessings just from this passage. Jot these down. We have peace with God, verse 1. We have grace and the hope of glory, verse 2. We have perseverance and proven character and hope, verses 3 and 4. We have God's love, verse 5. We have deliverance from the penalty of sin, verses 6 through 8. We have deliverance from God's wrath, verse 9. We have reconciliation with God, verse 10. And we have preservation during this present life. Also, verse 10. I didn't have these on the screen because I didn't come up with them until last minute. So I'll, I'll repeat it. Some, I saw some of you writing, and you're, some of you are very frustrated right now because you didn't get all of them. I'll have this list with me at the, at the back. We have peace with God, verse 1. We have grace and hope of glory, verse 2. We have pres- perseverance, proven character, and hope, verses 3 and 4. We have God's love, verse 5. We have deliverance from the penalty of sin, verses 6 and 8. We have the deliverance from God's wrath, verse 9. We have reconciliation with God. We're made right with God, verse 10. And we have preservation during this present life, verse 10. In case you didn't get them, they're in the Bible. Verses 1 through 11. That's your future as a believer. Here's my question as we close. Have you ever come to faith in Christ? Maybe you've 
grown up in the church. And maybe you've learned, you've heard enough Bible stories that you know what God expects. So maybe up until this point, you've just tried to be a good person. And maybe today God is revealing to you that you'll never be good enough apart from Christ. And maybe the freeing thought today would be this, that God loved you even when you were ungodly. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin even when you were still sinning. And that's the good news of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible book of Romans. God, there sure is a lot of meat here. I just pray we not miss it. God, maybe this morning we just get a taste that would drive us to want to study more. And God, maybe somebody here this morning has never placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe they've tried on their own. Maybe they've done their best. God, I pray today they would understand that you've already done everything necessary. And you did it at the cross. And so, God, I pray as we open our eyes in a minute and see this empty cross behind us, we would understand that is your demonstration. That is your proof of how much you loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing.